Welcome in to Two for One Drafts. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner, the Monday edition of Two for One Drafts. Got a jam-packed show today. Going to talk a little prospect debates. Renner, you got some takes. You got some takes on some prospects. Jedrick Wills over Makai Becton, Anthony Gordon oh. over Jacob Eason. Some good takes among others we're going to dive into. I'm excited for that. We'll then uh, segue to some interviews. I'm not, don't I'm not stealing. stealing. Don't be stealing. Don't be, don't be, don't be taking the shine off them. I'm not, I'm not trying to take any shine here, but I'm just, just trying to preview. But uh, interviews, I got interviewed uh, former Auburn offensive tackle Jack Driscoll. Super nice guy. Dude was a freaking all-star. Super nice guy. We had, I had a good time talking to him. And Jordan Elliott, short and sweet. I'll tell you that right now. Jordan Elliott is not a talker. <laughs> does not does not love the chat. We, we were in and out of that one pretty quickly. Uh, but he, he was still gave some good insight. Very smart dude, though. Even though he was short and sweet, you could tell. Really understood the game. Really understood his strengths and weaknesses. Um we will then pivot to the worst picks from our colleague Steve Palazzolo's mock draft. And then yes. new segment, going to debut a new segment, Pub Crawl. Uh, we're going to go around you know, go around the league a little bit from what we're hearing, some rumors that we're hearing uh, about certain prospects and weigh in on that, including the latest, Daniel Jeremiah saying that two GMs in the past 24 hours have said Isaiah Wilson, the other Georgia offensive tackle, will go in the first round, which is just... Woo! Absolutely absurd. Can we just start it off? I mean, can we just kick it there? It's just absolutely absurd. I want to get to that pub crawl. Yeah, that one's going to be fun. It's it's fun with that. Just unreal. All right, well, let's go ahead and dive into this uh, draft this guy, not that guy segment. I'm going to just tee you off here, and maybe I'll agree. Maybe I'll disagree. Let's start here, though. Jedrick Wills, the Auburn, um, not the Auburn, Alabama offensive tackle. You want to draft him ahead of Mekhi Becton, Louisville offensive tackle, the big man. Yeah, so the conceit here is there are – there a lot of times like there are tiers of players in the NFL in terms of like teams will see three cornerbacks in a similar light and then you know we're trying to decide between when there are tiers like that which one you want at the top which one of those guys do you really want and which one of those guys do you think eh, I, I I wouldn't want that guy among that tier so offensive tackle tier there's this kind of like top tier but I think Wills and Becton are similar because. They're both these athletic freaks who it kind of hasn't all taken place. Like there's a ways for them to both go on the football field uh, in terms of they need a little bit of development. It hasn't really shown to elite level play yet. Uh, I want, though, of them Jedrick Wills because, one, the movement skills. Like I will take lateral agility over raw power every day. And now I'm not saying Wills doesn't have raw power, but that's like Mekhi Becton's sort of calling cars, the fact that he's just physically this freak of nature, dominant, powerful, and moves like no other 370-pound man moves, but he still doesn't move anywhere near what Jedrick Wills does. Like, he still doesn't have near that agility, near the, like, explosiveness out of his pass sets. He, he's good for a 370-pounder, but, like, rank average in terms of offensive tackles, pe- good pass checking offense tackles in the NFL. So that's the biggest thing for me is give me the guy who has all the traits to pass protect at a high level. Becton, you'll get these crushing blocks in the run game. And yes, it's impressive. But there's just so many question marks about him and pass protection. That Louisville offense, 385, 86 run blocking snaps this year, 314 pass blocking, majority of those play action passes, not tested one-on-one. Competition he saw in the ACC wasn't great. Like a lot of these sort of like red flag sort of worries about him. That if you're if they're in the same tier for you, I'm going Jedrick Wills all day 
every day. I think I, I agree with you, but uh, for similar reasons, but Jedrick Wills production. I mean, Jedrick Wills earned a 90.5 PFF run blocking grade this past year and 88.4 overall grade with Mekhi Becton. He's never graded at a high level after switching left and right tackle in 2018. He was just um, on left tackle in 2019 earned an 82.6 overall grade an 81.5 PFF pass blocking grade and a 79.4 run blocking grade. I mean, he just doesn't have the production. And when you, we've talked about this before, but with Mekhi Becton, when you look at just those true passes, just when you're seeing, you know, non-play action, non-screen dropbacks, no quick game. He allowed eight pressures on a very few amount of snaps. I want to say it's in the 90 range. It's just concerning. Like, yes, he has this power. Yes, he has this upside. But, like, I, I'm not buying into that over guys that do have production in addition to very, very good tools. Because Jedrick Wills, maybe he's not the Mekhi Becton, but he still has a very, very, very good measurables and athletic tools. Guy Becton, I'm not putting this on him whatsoever. Like, he can still be a very good tackle in the NFL. But his sort of the the hype around him and why, the, the people falling all over themselves to put him, you know, in the top 10 in this draft reminds me a lot of when Greg Robinson came out and people are like, look, just look at this physical tools. Look at this, look at this run block he has where he just takes this guy off the screen. Look at, look at this other, you know, look at his pass protection. Look at him. Just put this guy in the dirt. And it's like, that's not, it's, it's a, it's a consistency based position. It is not a highlight reel position. Highlight reel is great. And we've talked about that with Tony Muti all the time. But if Tani Muti didn't have the consistency, we wouldn't be high on him. We would just say, oh, it's a highlight reel. And yes, he's way more physically dominant than the guys he's going up against. That was Mekhi Becton. You're not going to be that much more physically dominant in the NFL. You can't just get by on that in the NFL. You have to have a number of different things. And obviously, the Rams found out that the hard way with Greg Robinson. Not putting that on Mekhi Becton, but just who he reminds me of. Teeing up your next take here. It's still in the uh, in the trenches into your defensive line. You have Javon Kinlaw, the South Carolina defensive tackle. You want to draft him ahead of Derek Brown, which I think gets a lot of people excited because some people see Derek Brown as this top five type of player, a can't miss type of prospect to kind of debut uh, or talk about J- J- Javon Kinlaw a little bit. 89.3 overall grade this past year and 90.7 PFF pass rushing grade in 2019 and 88.7 pass rushing grade in 2018. With Derek Brown, it's the pass rushing that's not on the same tier as some of these other interior defensive tackles, just like Javon Kinlaw, just an 88.2 pass rushing grade this past year and 85.6 the previous year. Talk to me about this too and talk to me why Javon Kinlaw over Derek Brown. So, hand up. I had Derek Brown over Javon Kinlaw on the last draft board. That's on me. I went back and watched and while this is no knock against Derek Brown, I think you'll be a great NFL player, but he's going to be a great run defender and he could develop into a plus pass rusher. I think Javon Kinlaw can be that real impact pass rusher on the interior. So give me that guy all day, every day. If we're talking about a first round pick, because you can find run defenders in the second round, you can find run defenders in the third round. You cannot find interior pass rushers like that later in the draft for the most part on the interior. They go quickly. Javon Kinlaw and and the, the rawness aspect of it really almost, like I said, plays in his favor in that he's killing guys with just the same, like one move, one, two moves. He's killing guys routinely. The movement skills are just off the charts with him. And now we didn't get any testing, unfortunately, at the combine. But I mean, the side, like he just has it all to be a dominant interior presence. I don't think Brown has it all to be that every single down as a pass rusher, you got to account for him sort of player. So end up, I had Derek Brown ahead because he was more of a polished product, more complete player. I thought, and I still, I mean, I still think that, but I, just give me Javon Kinlaw and the projection and what he can become. 
I'm with you for two significant reasons. One, Javon Kinlaw already very productive as a pass rusher and knows like one move raw. Like you said, I think if you teach him more pass rusher moves, Javon Kinlaw is going to get very good in the NFL. And I think he has the character and demeanor and the measurables to be a very productive pass rusher with more moves in the NFL Two, with Derek Brown. Like you said, more complete, very good against the run, but it's that replaceability that you spoke to. You can find other interior run defenders later. Like, would you rather have Derek Brown in the top 10 or Lecky Fotu at the top of round four? I'm going Fotu every day of the week, even with the injury history, because Fotu can play the run at a high level. And I know Derek Brown can as well. I think Javon Kinlaw, I'm, I'm excited to see the move. Javon Kinlaw going ahead of Derek Brown on the next big board. And also, like, Damon Harrison was the unquestioned best run defender in the NFL for like a six year stretch. And at no point ever were his, you know, did that move the needle to where his defenses were these elite, elite defenses. It was just He got like, traded for a fifth round pick. Exactly. <laughs> like that was, and he was unquestioned, the best run defender in the NFL. Derek Brown, if everything goes right, that's what he becomes. And now he could add a little more as a pass rusher than Damon Harrison. But like, that's your, that's your upshot is he becomes a guy worth around $10 million a year, which is what Damon Harrison got a few years back. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I'm excited to see the move, the shift in the big board. Moving to this next one, and I'm I'm on this train and then some. I don't even know if there's a debate. Patrick Queen, the LSU off-ball linebacker, over Kenneth Murray, the Oklahoma off-ball linebacker. Patrick Queen, more instinctual. I think he's he's better turning his back in coverage. I think he offers more at off-ball linebacker. Kenneth Murray, I think in a limited role, can have success similar to Rashawn Evans, but I just don't see Kenneth Murray having anywhere near the same level of success in a scheme-versatile role like Patrick Queen. And so someone, I don't know where I was, someone brought up a comp for Kenneth Murray that scared the hell out of me. And that the more I watch Kenneth Murray now, the more I'm like, damn, I don't know if like, I don't know if I can get that out of my head as Jared Davis of the Lions. Uh-oh. And Jared Davis coming out of Florida had a lot of the similar highlights where it's like he saw something, he reacted, got cut into the backfield, and you just, you fell in love with the plays like that. And you're like, man, if he just like speeds up a little bit, and like that happens on a consistent basis, you're talking about you know a playmaker, a linebacker, and it just never sped up. Like that was just who he was. Was that guy having it and speed up at not, the next level is so much easier said than done because the yeah. level of competition gets harder, the game gets faster. It's hard to like progress instinctually and progress like your processing when it just yeah. gets that much faster. It's like you're already not good enough for level five of this video game, and now you need to get better. <laughs> and we're moving you to level fourteen. Like, how can you do it? Now you need to get better. It's like, oh my god! Like, and that's why you see also with the off-ball linebacker and like tight end, some of those positions like. Rookie, you know, on rookie contracts, you rarely see off-ball linebackers develop into like premier players. That's why it's going to take time for Devin Bush and Devin White to progress into good players. I think you would see that with Kenneth Murray and then some. Yeah, I just I can't get that out of my head because there are some of the similar concerns and just like the fact that he really and like I tried to excuse I've kind of excused some of it away, being like it's the Big Twelve. Everything's spread out. He has all these different responsibilities because, uh, you know, of the spread and what he has to defend. But at some point, like, he just didn't make plays on the ball in coverage. And that's kind of scary at the end of the day when a guy really hasn't done, uh, really hasn't been an impact player in that regard. Has only made plays going forward. And, and those, like I said, those plays look great. But there's such a limited, such a limited sample of what you're going to be asked to do in the NFL that... Just give me Patrick Queen in this scenario. I'd much rather come away the first round with him. All right, moving to the next one here. TCU wide receiver Jalen Rager over Baylor's Denzel Mims. I know you're not as high as on Denzel Mims as some other guys in the PFF offices, and I know you love Jalen Rager. Tell me why. 
so, and I even just straight up wrote an article this past week saying that like Denzel Mims, his rise up draft boards from you know the end of the season through now after the Senior Bowl after the combines for real. Like he deservedly has risen up draft boards. That what he did at the, at both Senior Bowl and Combine actually matters to the football field and actually matters to his valuation. Given his valuation was like a limited role in Baylor, very vertical, very much like not a full route tree. He showed a different skill set at those two stops afterwards. But still, you just don't see the reps on tape where he's killing guys. Like you, you don't see him get off the line cleanly and just blaze past. And that's that's kind of scary because he's not facing good competition in the Big 12 at cornerback. Like he was not like he he wasn't facing the cream of the crop in terms of he's not, you know, in the SEC. He's not facing a lot of press coverage or I guess he was facing a lot of press coverage. Wasn't facing a lot of talented press cornerbacks. And then yes, the senior bowl is great, but again, We've said the highest rated cornerback there was Troy Pride, who might go in the third round. Like there wasn't the actual top talent in this draft at the Senior Bowl. So I just Jalen Rager has those reps. Jalen Rager has those reps on tape where he just like he's ten yards past a guy, where like he gets a clean release and then peace, he's gone. He has reps that are just utterly dominant on tape. And as a guy who was doing that as a true sophomore compared to you know Denzel Mims this past year as a senior, I just. Give me the guy who's done it already at the college level, separating down the football field consistently, even though the production was whatever, butt cheeks in terms of his quarterback situation. But just give me that guy in Jalen Rager. I feel like there are a ton of reasons to side with you here. Denzel Mims, I mean, you watch games against Jeff Gladney and Parnell Motley. The guy gets locked up. I mean, he does not handle those cornerbacks well, does not produce at a high level. He didn't have those dominant reps consistently at Baylor. And you compare Jalen Rager, he had the third lowest percentage of accurate targets thrown his way this past year. You look at his 2018 tape, younger, like you said, very, very productive, very explosive, but... Maybe I do side with you with Rager over Mims, but I think this one's closer than some of the other ones. I'm all in on Kinlaw over Brown. I'm all in on Queen over Murray, but Rager versus Mims, I, I want to buy into the hype a little bit more than maybe you do with the combine and the draft and, and, the, and the senior bowl, because I really, really do like what he did at the senior bowl. I also talked to him and I love how you know he approaches the game. He's a very smart player as well. This one's closer for me, mm-hmm. but maybe maybe I am on board with you with Jalen Rager over Denzel Mims. You got no, you you, you talked to Mims and he, he won you over. I don't I worry talked about to Rager it. too. I talked talk, to I know. Rager too. Which one which one was the better? Which Denzel one Mims. talked about the playbook more? Mims had the Denz- playbook more. Then that's your guy then. Yeah, well Denzel Mims <laughs> I, I feel like was a better interview. But I mean Jalen Rager again is is impressive in his own right. I, I think it'll be interesting to see how those two receivers I like it comparing them because both of them maybe not same from a size standpoint, but very similar from an explosive ability. He can win at the intermediate and deep levels of the football field. Which of those yeah. guys becomes a better receiver will be an interesting narrative to follow in twenty twenty and beyond. All right, moving forward. Josh Jones, the Houston offensive tackle, a guy that you've been a high on since the end of the season, if not late in the season, versus Austin Jackson, uh, the US, USC offensive tackle who's been hyped up as a back end of the first round type of guy in mock draft and big boards of late. You have not been on the Austin Jackson trade. I'm sure you're all in on Josh Jones. This is true. Uh, and this one's no surprise. Uh, we've been on this for a while now. But I just, the Austin Jackson in the first round, you're just, I mean, watch him against AJ Epinesa, who's now getting you know pushed down into likely the second round, which is going to be a guy we're going to talk about later on in this draft, this guy, not that guy segment. But I, he just... 
his hands have no power behind him in his punch. And yes, he did like good reps at the combine and whatever. And he's still young, not even 21 years old yet. There's some reasons to get on board, but he's just got a softness to his game that I'm not sure gets fixed. Like you're banking on a lot getting fixed. And if you're drafting a guy in the first round, you're throwing him to the wolves. Like you're not sitting that guy on the bench most likely. So, and Josh Jones is just like far more ready to play in the NFL. And it's again, Josh Jones isn't a bad athlete. Like this isn't like a bad athlete versus an elite athlete. It's just splitting hairs between maybe Austin Jackson's a little more athletic than Jones, but like on the football field, it's not night, night and day. Josh Jones was a much, much better football player. So I don't know. I, I just think this one, I'd much, much rather co- want to come away with the Houston tackle over USC's Austin Jackson. And I think that what you said at the back end of that is just Josh Jones is just a much better football player. And I think that was reflected in the grading profile. We talked to Dane Brugler of The Athletic. He said Josh Jones had four different offensive line coaches in his time at Houston, but still his pass blocking grade improved every year of his career up to a 91.2 PFF pass blocking grade and a 92.7 PFF running blocking grade in 2019. You look at Austin Jackson, yes, a young player, but still under 80.0 pass blocking grades, never earned a run blocking grade above 68.9. The production just simply hasn't been there. And nine times out of 10, if not 9.9 times out of 10, when PFF is comparing prospects, the guy with maybe better upside, who's younger, more athletic versus a guy who has great production at the collegiate level is just going to fall second. And I think with Josh Jones, this is the case. Yeah. And the the Austin Jackson, the biggest. So like you look at his game by game grades and the three games he played actual NFL prospects. So Utah week four. Bradley and I, 45.3 pass blocking grade. Notre Dame, week seven, Julian Aquar, and I guess Khalid Kareem too, 53.7 pass blocking grade. Iowa, bowl game, AJ Epinesa, 57.3 pass blocking grade. Like he lost to the guys who were actually playing the NFL. That's not a good sign. You know, like that's, that should be red flag right there. Like when you face the guys that actually are playing in the NFL, he did not hold up well. And that's, I don't think that's going to change when not only the guys he faces are all guys that are playing the NFL next year, but like they're grown men and are even better than the guys he faced this past year. Well, three sacks against Iowa, man. Oh man. All right. Moving forward. We're going to go interior offensive line. Cesar Ruiz, the Michigan center versus Lloyd Cushenberry. Talk to me about this one. Yeah. So Lloyd Cushenberry, I'm not really, I don't really get the hype because this past season at LSU, he played, in a very pro style scheme, like Joe Brady, they did a lot of empty sets. It was a lot of what he's going to see at the NFL. And it was probably a more difficult role than the vast majority, if not like every other center in college football, because they passed a lot of empty sets. Like it was on him. He had a lot of one on ones in pass protection. But at the same time, like he failed those tests. You know, like he gave up the most pressures of any center in college football. He was not great on them. And he really struggled with quickness. And so, I just, I, that would terrify me from projecting the NFL just how often uh, he did allow pressure. And Cesar Ruiz, younger guy, not even 21 years old, true junior coming out, really smooth. Both are projected middle of second round, maybe early second round. I, I would just feel much more comfortable if I came away with Ruiz and his, you know, much, much better balance, far fewer reps where he's just getting absolutely, you know, uh, just flat on his face, falling flat on his face at the point of attack sort of thing that we saw from Cushenberry this past year. So give me Michigan center Cesar Ruiz if I'm, you know, in need of interior offensive line help in the second round. I remember you had a really good take on Ruiz previously when you were watching him. You know, you go through the first run of tape and you're like, well, yeah, this guy's good. He's pretty good. And then you watch more and you're like, oh my gosh, he never loses. Maybe he doesn't have that highlight level tape. But I remember you said, 
that Cesar Ruiz just does a lot of things very well and does you know when you do, when you just don't see a ton of mistakes on tape, it takes to the end of it till you realize this guy's a very good player. I think that's what um, with Cesar Ruiz over Lloyd Cushenberry. Lloyd Cushenberry, you see some you see some bad reps on tape, specifically this past year earned a, a career low overall grade with LSU this past year. All right, jumping to yeah. AJ. Ep- oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say so Ruiz like our grading system goes from uh, minus minus two to uh, positive two for off line play and, and anything below like a minus one is those reps where you just like lose on contact, fall flat on your face. He didn't have a single rep this year with a minus 1.5 or a minus two grade. It just oh, like wow. didn't have one. So that's kind of, that's kind of who he is. It's just when, even when he does lose, it's not super ugly. How many minus ones? He had 22, but a lot of those are going to be penalties. So Gotcha. All right, let's jump to AJ Epinesa versus Terrell Lewis. This one's obvious. You've been higher on AJ Epinesa than a lot of guys early on. And even with the fall after the combine, he's still a much better player than Alabama's Terrell Lewis. What stands out for me is Epinesa, very productive. Maybe he doesn't have the athleticism you covet for edge defender in the NFL, but you turn on the tape for Terrell Lewis at the Senior Bowl, you cannot be, you cannot, I can't fathom the GM or the front office that would take him over AJ Epinesa. He could not win against top-level competition in Mobile. I think that's what concerns me. Very inconsistent at Alabama. Alabama as well. And then you also have the injury history. Yeah. So Terrell Lewis is not necessarily a huge knock on him. Like he could be there. He could get better. There's a lot to like about him. And from a build and sort of athleticism perspective, he's got the traits that will, you know, that can develop into something good in the NFL. But like Epinesa is one younger, two far, far more productive already at the college level. And yes, the athleticism is a concern, but I just... If AJ Epinesa really falls to the second round, I think he's going to be one of the steals of the draft. Like, he just seems very safe in what he brings to the table, which is just really good hands and a powerful dude. Like, that, there are multiple ways to win at the NFL level. And yes, it's easy to fall in love with the athletes and who get it done by beating other people at, with their athleticism quicks, that sort of thing. But Epinesa, like, that was never how he won. He won with technique, he won with his power. And that stuff really hasn't changed despite running, you know, a slow 40. Yeah, 100%. All right, jumping to Anthony Gordon, the Washington State quarterback. You're taking him over Jacob Eason, who's been getting some love on the timeline recently for having that big arm. But, like, what comes up always with Jacob Eason is you look at his play under pressure – Man, oh man, it is a concern. And also, even his play, not under pressure, but he starts to see phantom pressure, reacts to pressure earlier than expected, really struggles when adversity strikes. While with Anthony Gordon, the, the, the feedback that, you know, the positive feedback he has is definitely that plays the quarterback position well, has that innate feel for when pressure's coming, can create out of structure and those things. I think that's what you're going to want in a quarterback like Anthony Gordon over maybe a guy with a better arm or better arm talent than Jake, like Jacob Eason. Yeah, I, I just... I struggle with guys like Eason who are almost robotic in the way they play quarterback. That I just don't think translates well to the NFL. Like I, I, Anthony Gordon's far more feel based, far more uh, capable of I don't know just quarterbacky things. I, I guess it's difficult to sort of personify, but like it looks natural to him throwing two guys who are covered and throwing it on the receiver's leverage. Like that, that's not something that's. Uh, that's not something that has to be like coached up. He just like does that naturally. Jacob Eason is just far too many parts of his game that just look like the coming out of a QB coaching manual that just, I don't love that projection of the NFL and yes, it's the arm strength, whatever, but Anthony Gordon doesn't have like, he's, he's above the threshold for arm strength in the NFL. Like there are quarterbacks with far weaker arms than him succeeding the NFL level. So 
it's again, they're mid round prospects, both of them probably third rounders ish in that range. But give me Anthony Gordon. I'm choosing between those two. I don't know why the arm strength threshold doesn't get brought up enough. I, I feel like there needs to be there's this threshold that you need to have, and then after that, it's kind of more bonus. But sometimes, for whatever reason, guys with like elite arm strength just rockets get so heavily valued for like when it when I I don't think that high end necessarily you know takes you to the next level. I think after you meet that threshold, I want everything but the rocket. I want accuracy. I want that innate field to play the quarterback position. You don't need I don't need more arm strength from you after you pass that threshold. I really just want you to play the quarterback position well. Dude, I think it's sort of a holdover from like mid 90s and the 80s when teams played spot drop zones and like you had to be able to fit it into these windows down the football field. Like there were actual like holes down the football field. You had to fit it in because uh, and, and like no one was accurate. No one was like that accurate with the football or as accurate as they are today because of, you know, quarterbacks or factories, these kids starting to throw in when they're like 10 years old and getting all this coaching at the quarterback position. You don't, you didn't have that back then. And so it actually mattered to sort of when the early days of passing offenses were getting going, like that stuff, actually you needed that to execute a downfield passing offense. I don't think that's the case anymore though. Like I think that the game and the way offenses have evolved is very much accuracy based, very much timing based and nowhere near as much, arm strength and the, those sort of downfield uh, throws based. Last Just one my here. Jo- Last one here. Jonah Jackson, the Ohio State offensive guard who transferred from Rutgers, and then Ben Bredesen, the Michigan offensive guard. You've been low on Bredesen for a while. Before you kick this off, I know you want Jonah Jackson over Bredesen. Whatever. What are the positives in Bredesen's tape? Because there are people who like this kid. I So I don't hate him. I, I would take him on day three. I think he can, he can pass protect in the NFL, he's just so high cut for a guard and has really short arms. And I think it's a, it's a bad combination. So he's just, he gets taken back. Like he gets bull rushed a lot on his tape. And for a guy who's already a senior, I'm not just, I'm not sure that's ever going to change uh, on the interior. Uh, he's just going to be a guy who's probably going to get bull rushed a lot. He just doesn't have the build to sort of combat it. And is not particularly strong. So uh, that that's what worries me. Doesn't you know, like he just I like, can't sink and play with good leverage consistently, and that's worrisome when projecting the NFL. But I just think so. I I would still take him like fifth, sixth round. Like he's not awful for a guard prospect. There are guys who are probably who will go in that range that I will like in the fourth round range that I would rather have Bredesen than. But Jonah Jackson is not one of them. Jonah Jackson is fantastic. Like that guy. If they're if you're drafting Bredesen ahead of Jonah Jackson, I question your process. I question. Uh, what you're looking at just because I think the, the sort of how you get it done matters. And Jonah Jackson, the way he uses his hands, his balance is just as good as it gets in this draft class. Awesome stuff, Mike. Really appreciate the the takes there. agree with a lot of them, if not most of them. And I think with the, the only one I feel like the one I'm closest on, again, is that Rager Mims. I think it's going to be interesting to see where their careers pan out. Now, let's kick to the interviews. Uh, I sat down with Jordan Elliott and Jack Driscoll, the uh, former Auburn offensive tackle and former Missouri defensive tackle. Joining the Two for One Drafts podcast is Auburn offensive tackle Jack Driscoll. Great to have you on. I hope you're staying safe. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, just kind of do what I can and hunker down at home and kind of enjoy the, the draft process. But it's a little different, but it's going good so far. Yeah, I'm sure it's not what you expected. I don't think it's any what anyone expected, including media like myself. So are you right now talking to a lot of NFL teams through like Skype or video conferencing, that kind of stuff? Yeah, literally just, like, just what we're doing right now. It's like FaceTime, Skype, Zoom, just all that kind of um, 
instead of the pre-draft, you know, meetings. And, you know, unfortunately not able to work out with those teams, but, you know, it's been good, you know, um, teams will kind of maybe like some teams will show some plays uh, with their phone and whatever, and just kind of talk through them or maybe have me draw something up for them or then draw something up. So, you know, making the most of it, like you said, and just really trying to take advantage of it. And, um, you know, just like I said, it's, it's hard for everyone. So we're mm-hmm. on the same boat. What are the like advantages, disadvantages of that? Like, you know, we're, you know, talking to the teams through video, I'm sure has its disadvantages in that you're not able to kind of see them in person and, and develop that. But I mean, there's probably some, also some advantages, maybe easy to be prepared. I'm interested in your take on that. Yeah. You know, it is easier to prepare because there's not too, too much they can do on the phone. I mean, obviously, you know, they can have you draw stuff up or whatever, but you know, you don't have to get ready for a workout and a board session. But um, yeah, you know, like you said, it's really just making the most of it. I don't think it's necessarily a terrible thing. It's not, you know, the best situation, but you know, it's been good. Every team I've talked to has been an awesome conversation. And, um, you know, would it be ideal to be on the whiteboard in front of them in person and working out? Yeah. But I mean, like I said, every kid's in the same situation. So, um, but no, like I said, I mean, it's, it's good to be able to prepare and know kind of going ahead of time, you know, I have my notebook ready and my whiteboard ready. So, um, really just trying to make sure that I'm prepared for all these meetings. Yeah, man. Well, I want to dive more, you know, more into your tape right now and kind of look at that stuff. But I, I think let's start with transferring from UMass to Auburn. What went into that decision, um, and, and how do you think that played out for you? Obviously, you know, from a PFF perspective, your grades have always been very good, both at UMass and at Auburn, when the co- level of competition kind of increased. But I'm interested in why you made that transfer and and, and your opinion of it after doing it. Yeah, no, it, it turned out well, like you said, and. Uh... You know, so I started out in high school. I didn't have many offers. I was like, you know, my junior year, 6'3", 205. So it's not safe to say it wasn't really. Yeah. <laughs> I read the offensive tackle coming out of high school. And um, my senior year, I got about 6'4", 240. So I had two offers. Um, but it was UMass at West Point. And uh, I wasn't sure about the whole arm, military thing at that point in my life. And I was like, you know what? Unless I'm going on that, it's probably not a good idea to sign myself up for five plus years. So um, I really like Coach Whipple. He ran a pro-style offense. So um, I went in at 240, gained 50 pounds. I you know, eating was literally a full-time job and I'm not even getting a beat. I have set like timers on my phone. It's like, you need to eat. I'd be full. I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to eat right now. Oh my gosh. What do you eat? What do you eat when you're full? Like, I feel like it has to be specific foods. You can't just go back to the well on certain things. Yeah, you can't go back to the well, but I got to mix it up. You know, like I'll do like PB&Js for a couple of weeks and then I might do, you know, a big parfait or a mm-hmm. smoothie with, you know, like Greek yogurt and stuff. Just like trying to get some like healthy fats. And yeah, yeah. Like that especially. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, it, that's that's got to be wild. how many calories were you putting in trying to gain that weight per day? I didn't have a set number, but I knew I wanted to eat about five full like full meals. Okay, and then like a couple snacks in between, like during class. You know, I bring protein bars or you know protein shake and just you know down it just so I can keep my um, keep the calories going. Did you did you get the Ben Barch shake? I'm sure you've seen that by now. I don't know how much you've talked to Ben Barch, but uh, he has that like shake where he puts like twelve scrambled eggs or whatever it was, yeah. Gatorade. Uh-huh. I actually trained with Ben out in um, Irvine. So oh, nice. I him really well. I mean, I've not tried the shake yet, though. I'll have to give it a shot and I'll see if it works. You need your own shake, man. You need to throw yeah. some PB&Js in there. I don't know what the hell you got to do, but figure it out. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I think you, you you turn on like some of the highlights in your game, and a lot of it is you moving to the second level, showing off your athleticism. Do you think that kind of separates you in this class, what you're able to do in space? Because, I mean, with offensive linemen, there's these kind of phone booth types that you know struggle when they have to move laterally or getting to the second level. But with you, it, it's kind of the opposite and i think that does give you an edge i'd love to know your opinion of that and kind of what goes into being a good second level blocker yeah no i mean i've, I've always taken pride and like really worked on my athleticism and agility you know from speed rope or from speed ladder to jump rope because i know you know the quicker you are and the like better you're able to get on backers in the second level and even in the third level in some cases 
it just makes you that much more valuable. And it really, like you said, it sticks out on tape. When you see guys climbing that second level, those are the types of blocks that spring the long runs and spring the touchdowns. So that's something I really worked on. And, you know, that was throughout the process of gaining that weight. I always said to myself, I'm going to gain weight, but I'm not going to get fat where I lose my, what I'm good at. You mm-hmm. know, I, I kind of sat there like, what am I good at? I was like, I'm a good athlete. I played basketball my whole life growing up. Um, so, you know, from feet, from, from the defense and all that stuff. So I knew I want to stay athletic. And um, that's something I think, strength coaches that really helped me out with and did a good job. Um, I think that does separate me though, because, you know, I see a lot of these guys and, you know, uh, all the guys in this who are even, you know, considered being drafted are great players and they all have their strengths. Everyone has their weaknesses. And, but um, yeah, I think that definitely separates my game. And, you know, I think you saw it at UMass in more of a, you know, traditional pro style offense, you know, uh, a lot of outside zones and buck sweeps. Yep. And also at Auburn, you know, we ran a lot of power and inside zone and still being able to show off that athletic ability and, in an offense that's not really set for that, you know, those type of, um, you know, athletes. You know, pra- practicing at Auburn, playing offensive tackle, maybe you didn't see these guys a ton, but I'd love to know practicing against Marlon Davidson and Derek Brown. I mean, two big dudes that could go inside the first 50 picks. I mean, I'd love to know, you know, what what, what that was like and how they made you better. Yeah, it was awesome. I'll say this, and like you had to bring it every day. You know, because if you didn't bring it, or you know, you were open, or you were down in the dumps, and you know, you weren't taking practice seriously, they embarrassed you. Know? <laughs> and it's like, and but the thing is, too, you know, like we had five, fifty or seniors, so like they knew too. Like, look, like you know, we have guys who are going to be playing, and like we're allowed a shot to play the next level too. So like they had to bring their eight. Like, you know, because look, if they weren't, we're going to dog them too. And, you know, it's a kind of doggy dog world. So it was awesome because you know it makes the game so much easier when you're playing guys like Derek and Marlon. You're not going to see many better players out there than those two. So, you know, if you're doing well and, you know, you're getting good quality reps against them, it just makes Saturday feel so much easier and so much more laid back. Yeah. I mean, I would say laid back is more like it's like slower because those two are so, you know, explosive and fast and powerful as well. So it just makes the game easier. Yeah. I've heard that from other prospects who do practice against, you know, like top tier competition. They say it makes the game slower. You know, it slows the game down for you because you're able to see what NFL speed is like again, or NFL athleticism, NFL ability is like, that's interesting. I also want to, you know, so we talked about, you know, your ability at the second level, your athleticism, but I think there's, I want to hear what teams have given feedback, you know, what type of feedback teams have given you, what they like about your game, where they think you need to improve based off the feedback they've given you. What have they said? Yeah, you know, it's been pretty positive. And, um, you know, just I think a lot of teams, some say, you know, tackle, some say inside. But, you know, I just tell them, like, I can play all five. <laughs> Any position you want me, I can do it. You know, I played some center in high school. I practiced at UMass. I know I can play guard as well. I mean, I think for me, and it was big going into the combine, was to make sure I was above 300 pounds. Because, um, you know, at one point I was teetering a little bit below. So it was big. You know, that was one of the things my agent had said. So, hey, you know, like, Teams lost to you gain that weight. So to win at 306 and then 304.5, wherever it was that pro day was, it was big, you know, because it showed like, Hey, look, I'm, whatever you guys are telling me to do, I'm doing like, I'm yeah. trying to work on that and show you that. Like I'm trying to make these weaknesses my strengths. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I just been taking, I love, I love to get coached. I love the feedback because I know like, you know, if I can improve on that, it just makes me that much more valuable. But, um, like, you know, just, just to, to continue to get stronger and, um, you know, just continue to develop because, you know, now, Every guy is like Marlon and Derek at the next level. You know, it's not <laughs> like those are like the two guys, and that's the best you'll see. Like every guy was that guy. In mm-hmm. So um, just being prepared to you know step my game up another level. But um, 
I was able to do it from UMass to Auburn. I think I'll be able to make, I know I'll be able to make the transition now too. What are you currently working on now that, you know, combine pro days behind you are working with any coaches to kind of work on technique. I'd be interested to know, obviously the pandemic right now is affecting what you'd be doing, but I'd love to know what you're currently working on. Is it film study? Cause you have to stay inside. Uh, where are you at right now? Yeah. So it's been nice. I, uh, I, um, through high school, I trained at a gym that's kind of for athletes only. It's a town hall for me. And because it's a smaller type of deal for kind of pretty much only athletes go, it stayed open for now. Oh, wow. And we'll see if it stays open in weeks to come. But I've been going there and just, you know, going to the field and same thing, like, you know, working on a lot of film study, understanding that, you know, it's a big part of it and knowing, you know, watching those guys and, you know, what's going through their mind, trying to put myself in their shoes. Um, and then, you know, just like I said, staying athletic because, you know, um, now even like the combine is a different type of training, you know, it's kind of like, you know, 40 and all that stuff. But now it's like football training and, you know, making sure I'm in state shape, making sure I'm quick and, um, it's nice to get to that second level is big. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. That's all I had for you. And, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward, Jack. And I, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I appreciate you having me. It's an honor to be on here. Best of luck, against, uh, best of luck against the Marlins and Derricks of the NFL in the future. I'm sure you'll do well. And uh, can, you know, keep adding that weight. Keep, uh, keep pre- pressing on. And I really appreciate you coming on. Joining the 2-4 Drafts podcast is Jordan Elliott, Missouri defensive tackle, a guy that PFF really has higher on their board than I would say other media, other analysts, and hopefully not other NFL teams. Hopefully you're going in round one, my guy, but it's great to have you on. It's great to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Of course, man. Well, let's start with this. You know, like With this you know, coronavirus right now, the COVID-19 pandemic in the world right now, how much that has, has that affected the pre-draft process for you? I obviously hope you're staying safe and your family is staying safe, but I'm sure you're doing a ton of team interviews through Skype. You're not able to meet people in person. How's that whole right. process going for you? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's totally shifted just how, you know, this, this is operating. You know, uh, a lot of guys telling me they're working from home now, so it's just like when they call us, it's a FaceTime interview instead of, you know, going in person. It's a little different, but, you know, it is what you got to do. Yeah. What are some of the questions they ask you on those FaceTime calls? Is it most of it, you know, trying to get an idea of your football IQ or is it your character? I'm interested to know, like, where those kind of went. Uh, it's just a mix of both, you know. Just It just depends on the team. Uh, but more, more, more times than not, it's football-related. You know, what what feedback have teams given you, positive and negative? What do they say they like about your game, and what do they think you can improve on at the next level? Uh, a lot of teams they like my aggressiveness and just how explosive I am as a player, the violence that I have. Um, uh, just as far as um, things I can work on, though, you know, just finishing my rushes, you know, just being that complete guy all the time. So. Yeah, and I think effort stands out on tape, physicality, ability to rush the passer. I'd love to talk about the difference between rushing the passer, <clears throat> excuse me, and playing the run because I think rushing the passer has so much value in today's NFL. It's definitely where you make your money as those pass rushing snaps. So you know, walk me through the how the mentality changes, how technique and those things change when you're rushing the passer, pinning your ears back versus playing the run and and, and run fits. Oh yeah, you know when you when you rushing the passer, you have to get after you know. So that's kind of my mindset going into it, just attack, attack, attack. And I feel like it kind of just shows, you know, uh, on my film, when you watch uh, Patrick's rip, uh, just versus the run, though, there's a lot of re- reading. So it's not as much explosion, but more so just keying and make sure, making sure that I'm in the right gap, you know, things of that nature. Awesome, man. And, and pressing forward here, I kind of want to talk specifically about, you know, where you're seeing, you know, the current – 
you know, landscape of this class. Because I think if you bring up guys like Derek Brown, Javon Kinlaw, uh, AJ Epinesa, Justin Matabuke, I mean, there's other names that come up when people talk about this defensive tackle class, but more often than not, they're not bringing up yours in their top five, top 10 type of defensive tackles in this class. Why do you think media are kind of, you know, off of you compared to where we are with PFF? Uh, you know, I just feel like it's one of those things where if you look in detail, you see, you know, you see the, the technique, you see just how technical of a player I am, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and it's not, it's nothing that I take offense to, you know, it's just, uh, over time I show, I prove those people wrong. You know, that's kind of how I look at it. You know, everything happens for a reason, you know, so at this point I'm just controlling what I can and everything else, you know, I really can't worry about it too much. Yeah, you, you bring up technique. Is that something you kind of pride yourself in? Is that something you work on a ton in, in the process? Oh, yeah, yes, sir. You know, uh, details are very important, especially in, in our position. Um, it kind of can it can save you when you're in compromising positions. So I feel like it's very valuable. Talk to me about a given game week, what you're doing to prepare for an opponent. How much is film study is involved? How much are you working your technique with position coaches? I'd love to get more insight on, like, what you do to prepare every week. Film is probably the biggest component. Uh, just from a uh, no, getting like little cues that can give me an advantage that week versus uh, you know who, whoever we're playing. Um, film, you know, tells it tells no lies. So people tend to give tendencies, and, and that that gives me an advantage when I'm when I'm getting ready to play them. What, what kind of tendencies do you mean? Can you get can you get more specific over like what you're looking at? Is that you know how they're how they're yeah. lining up, or you know what are you looking for? So if yeah, if a if a lineman has a tendency to soft set, you know I, I might hit him with some aggressive moves, you know. Uh, but if we play in a team where you know the the uh, lineman, you know he's more of a a, a hard hitter, you know mm-hmm. somebody that's gonna lean at me, I'm gonna give him some finesse moves, you know. So it's just one of those things where. I have to know each week who I'm going against, you know, what type of player I'm facing, you know, and just just being a pro about it. I want to finish with this. I, I want to, you know, every, throughout this entire process, people are kind of telling you what you they think you'll be at the next level, what you're good at, what you're bad at, all those things. I want to hear from you what you think makes you one of the better defensive tackles in this class. What do you bring to the table that's special or unique? Uh, I just think my, like my explosion uh, is it's just something that, you can't really teach, you know, and, and my technique as well. Uh, that's something you you can teach, but I just feel like those things, you know, kind of help me when I am in positions that, you know, necessarily might not win all the time, you know. So it's just one of those things where, yeah, that explosion is really what I feel like separates me. Great, man. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast, and I appreciate your time. All right, we're back. Major, major takeaways from those interviews for me. One, Jack. Very smart dude, I, I think, wants to get better in the NFL. I think he recognizes that he's still getting better. I think what's interesting, his discussion about trying to get over 300 pounds, trying to get over 305 pounds, that kind of constant battle of him like having to eat a ton. And then also what his takeaway is practicing against Derek Brown and Marlon Davidson. I think he said you know, that helps slow the game down for him. I think that's going to help him at the next level for sure. Oh, I feel so bad for Driscoll having to eat all day. Oh, man. Wow. Oh, oh stop. Sucks. Oh. Stop. Stop, man! And, the cross anyway, he has to bear. Jordan sounds Elliott. like me after my senior year of college too. <laughs> Just having to eat all day. Jordan Elliott, as you can tell from the interview, very short and sweet with what he had to say. But I, I think things that stood out for me is that he knows that, like, te- like when he said, you know, technique 
is how you win when you're in compromising positions. I think, I mean, what, what he was saying about how learning technique to get out of bad situations and also knowing that his explosiveness and athleticism at the snap is where his strengths are. I think Jordan Elliott, very self-aware of what he's good at. And again, he, he and I were both confused on why he's getting slept on. I don't know why he's not regarded as a top 50, you know, top 30, top 50 player in this class like PFF has him right now. All takes one, though. Hopefully someone buys in because I think he really is that good. So we'll see. All right. Before we dive into the worst picks from Steve Palzolo's mock draft and the pub crawl segment, I got to bring up the the draft guide giveaway. I sent an email to, I think it was, it was over like 150, 200, uh, 200 people who put their email in the review for the podcast. If you did not receive that email with the draft guide, please email me, austin.gale at pff.com. Email me with a screenshot of your review. I will send you a draft guide. If you didn't get one, I probably fucked up when I was trying to take your email, remove the spaces, and then send you the send you the email there was a guy there were a couple of people who put a space between every letter of their email like come on guys, <laughs> help me out here did not make things easy but i also in addition to that i want to say really appreciate the feedback on the podcast sounds like you guys really like a lot of things we're putting out we're going to continue to put out great contact content mike and i so really happy with the feedback we did receive go get your draft guide send me an email if you did not get it with a screenshot of your review all right let's, yes let's yeah i wanted bury- to, i just want to add to that and say yes i read all the reviews thank you so much to all you guys we really put so much work austin and i into this podcast and that draft guide to know that you guys listen and enjoy means the world to us so thank you so much for continuing to listen and for leaving those reviews hopefully you guys enjoy that draft guide LFG. All right, let's bury Steve Palazzolo. First yeah. one on the board here. Lions passing on Chase Young. Rip into him for me. What are you doing, Steve? Chase Young. <laughs> Can't miss. We've said it. They have a need at edge. Like, Jeffrey Okuda, very good player. And I get what we preach. Coverage over pass rush, whatever. I still believe that we underrate, in terms of wins above replacement, George and Eric, turn off the podcast if you're listening right now. We still underrate dominant edge rushers in terms of wins above replacement because we can't quantify for them. <laughs> and it's one of the, <laughs> quantify. <laughs> Freudian slip. What, it's one of those things where you don't let a guy who's that dominant beat you if you're an opposing offense. Like if you don't just let your offense tackle keep getting his ass kicked, unless maybe you're Mike Martz and your quarterback's Jay Cutler, you don't let it happen. Like you go and scheme and change the way you're play, calling plays to account for that. And Yes, you can still account for an edge rusher, and yes, you can like chip him every time and all and neutralize him. But that's mm-hmm. taking guy out of your progression. Like you are chipping him, and that's altering the way you operate your offense. So I don't think we properly account, and I don't, I'm not sure there is a way to properly account for that a dominant edge rusher. But that's what I envision Chase Young being. I mean, I've, like I said, I've never seen a prospect like him. There's no reason he shouldn't be like that. So, Steve, what are you doing? Passing on Chase Young, <laughs> worst had, worst mock I, ever. I, I, I was having this conversation earlier. It's like, okay, look at your two evaluations of Akuda and Chase Young. If you're as confident that Chase Young will be an elite player in the NFL, you're as confident in that as you are that Jeffrey Akuda will be an above average to elite cornerback, you take Akuda. But there's zero chance your evaluation, you're as confident that Chase that in that your Chase Young is going to be elite that you are that Jeffrey Akuda is going to be above average to elite. I think you take the one where yes. you have higher confidence level. And Chase Young, I am way more confident that he's going to be an elite, highly above average player than I am Jeffrey Akuda will be something similar. And that's where I'm with um, Chase Young over Akuda right now. All right, moving forward here. Eagles drafting T. Higgins over Jalen Rager. He texted us about this one. <laughs> and I was kind of blown away about that. I, I did not expect the Eagles to go after T. Higgins, a guy with a very slow 10-yard split, not going to have the explosiveness 
that um, they desperately need. I think they need explosiveness, not size. Am I right? Yeah, I I, I get why because you know, Carson Wentz does love throwing to these contested catch wide receivers, and like he, he will he will give guys chances. But they already got two of them. Like you don't want to you don't want a team full of these guys. You need someone who can separate at some point. And the biggest issue is once Deshaun Jackson got hurt, they had no speed. They had no one to challenge down the football field. And Deshaun Jackson, what is he like thirty three now? Like there's no there's no sort of sure thing that he's going to come back and be the Deshaun Jackson we knew and loved before. So, yeah, I I, I just had can the Jalen Rager over Denzel Mims take. <laughs> I, I definitely have Jalen Rager over T. Higgins take as well. Can you imagine J, uh, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, T. Higgins, and uh, Alshon Jeffrey out there just just trucking along? Just big dudes are all in like the four or five speed types. Like They, they want explosiveness no. in that receiving core. I can't imagine them going after T. Higgins over No one ever open. Wentz just having to like <laughs> heave jump balls every time. And yeah, they come down Zachers. with them. But, like... That's amazing. All right, I, I added one in here. It's Josh Jones ahead of Jedrick Wills. I, I, and Josh Jones made more productive over the course of his career. His pass blocking grade, like we talked about before, has improved over the course of, of his that, career. That's the Houston, Browns, but- right? Hit him. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Josh Jones to the Browns ahead of Jedrick Wills going to the Jets with the next pick. I think Jedrick Wills, though he only has one year of elite play, I think the tools are better. I, I think he's going to be a better pro in the NFL than Josh Jones. Yes, this was not as egregious to me because I've even said Josh Jones, year one might be the best pass protector of the bunch, and you're the Browns, you need help right away, whatever. But I still think like Jedrick Wills, there's too much to like about his game. There's too many yeah. good things that he does already, and I don't think he's going to be a liability out the gate either. Like He's going to be fine out, out the gate, and then his ceiling can push higher than a lot of these other guys because he just moves differently. Like That's half a pass protection. So yeah, Jedrick Wills, what are you doing, Steve? Again, what are you doing? All right, moving forward here. We're just ripping them apart right now. Last one. Dolphins passing on Javon Kinlaw for Ashton Davis. Yes. And one, Javon Kinlaw making it all the way to 27. Steve, what are you doing there? But Dolphins, I mean, I get that they went Christian Wilkins last year, but that's all they have there still on the interior. And you go Ashton Davis to their secondary. And yeah, we like Ashton Davis, but still not as much as Javon Kinlaw. Like he's an actual guy who can impact the pass rush there, which they have no one really at the moment for the Miami Dolphins. So, yeah, I would be hard-pressed to see. I mean, like, realistically, none of that's going to happen. But, uh, yeah, Steve, what are you doing here? Worst mock ever. Go to pff.com and look at Steve Powell's Zolo's mock draft. And if you want to leave a review with your least favorite pick, I I, I will definitely find a good chuckle out of that one. Moving to the next I will say say this, though. I will say this about Steve. The the write-ups is where the real value in his mock is. Because, obviously, this this is a what he would do mock. Not what's actually going to happen. That's why, you know, Chase Young falls all the way to four. It's what he would do. But the write-up and actual analysis has value, unlike what we're about to get to here. Yeah, I feel like that's with all mock drafts. Like, don't yeah. I feel like with mock drafts, it's the analysis. It's like what you're like the scenario you're trying to create, and like the analysis behind it is what's way more important. Like predicting the NFL draft is not the way to go. For yeah, I, I I do agree that the analysis is where it's at. All right, segment late addition to the podcast here had a few too many. We did this one previously, ripped apart a couple of mine and uh, Renner's takes, but now it's time to move another analyst. Yes, these are these are these are lighthearted, but the, sometimes it just got to get brought up. Mike, take the reins. Maurice Jones-Drew did a mock draft last week, and I thought it was an April Fool's joke because I saw it on April 1st. But it turns out he published it the day before, so it definitely wasn't a joke. But (laughs) I'll just read off to you the first five picks. He has the Bengals selecting Justin Herbert, number one overall. No trade here. He has the Chargers trading up to two to get Tua Tagovailoa. 
Okay, that one's kind of realistic. Then he has the Giants trading up to three with the Lions to get Chase Young. And the Lions trading back to four to get Derek Brown, the Auburn oh DT. And then Joe Burrow falling all the way to number five to the Miami Dolphins, who don't need to trade or anything to get Joe Burrow. Which, it gets honestly worse from there. There's some... Oh, Crazy picks. And unsurprisingly, three running backs go in the first round of Maurice Jones' <laughs> mock draft. I thought this is where, that's where it was going to start. I, I thought you were going to like, yeah, three running backs in the first round. But this top five is ridiculous. But then, like, but the the part that we kind of just said, it's, it's the analysis that makes the most sense or that's, like, the most important part of this. Here's his analysis of the Justin Herbert pick. An NFC North-style quarterback with a big frame and strong arm to lead the Bengals in bad weather. Here's the Tua Tongue by Lowell one. A West Coast style QB. Tua has terrific arm strength, mobility, which he does not have terrific arm strength. Mobility, and even though he has a hip that's like halfway healed, and is a proven winner, a quarterback who plays big in big moments is exactly what this team needs, which like the knock on Tua was how small he came up uh, in the national championship game in the, play, in the down the stretch last year, you know, 2000, the year before that. So, I question that. And then here's the Joe Burrow one. Finally, the analysis. Burrow fits perfectly into what the Dolphins do offensively with a quick quick release and untapped potential. But actually, it didn't say untapped. It said uptapped, which I think he meant untapped. But it it said uptapped. So... His Raquan Davis going in number 20 of the Jags? How upset would the Jags be with this haul? Oh my gosh. This is... This is absurd. uh, Raquan Davis at twenty. Oh, this man. was the definition of a had a few too many. So this, yeah. Uh, but all shout out to MJD for putting the mock together. He gets the conversation going. Analysis. I, I think terrific arm strength for Tua Tagovailoa also stands out as something where you kind of scratch in your head. But this is what mock drafts are for, baby. Start the conversation. Let's go, uh, Joe Burrow to Miami at five. This is. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if the Giants traded from four to three for Chase Young, and then the Lions after just fleecing the Giants on whatever that trade would be, grabbing Derek Brown with the value they returned. I, I'm blown away by the thought process here. But again, it, it, it gets the conversation going, I guess. Had a few too many. First Had sure. a few too many. All right, last segment, new segment, Pub Crawl, baby. It's where we go around the rumor mill, pick up some things that we're hearing from around the league, mostly Twitter, I guess. Around the league is <laughs> unjust. What we're hearing There's no Twitter. around the league anymore. Everyone's at their home, so. Exactly, around the homes. All right, Isaiah Wilson, apparently from uh, Matt Miller, two, t- two GMs in the last 24 hours said they wouldn't be surprised if Isaiah Wilson, Those the DJ, big Daniel monster. Jeremiah. Oh, yeah, Daniel Jeremiah, the big monster. Uh, opposite of Andrew Thomas at Georgia going in the first round. I'm not surprised by this, actually. I'm not surprised by this, but I do find it insane. I am surprised by this. He's so I did a, I did an article a couple weeks ago that were the top tackle to guard converts in this class. Isaiah Wilson was right at the top of it. The guy is 350 (laughs) pounds and he ran a three cone over eight seconds in a, in the short shuttle over five seconds. Those are like, thresholds for even playing in the like he just can't move laterally he doesn't have the movement skills to play at tackle like he is very limited in that regard and now he holds 350 pounds kind of absurdly like he does not look that's about as lean a 350 pound man as you'll ever see but that doesn't mean he can stay at tackle and should be a first round pick like this guy is pretty raw like he had reps where he just like didn't touch guys on inside moves because he couldn't react quick enough it's just but he's big Mike concerning but he's big he is big that's, I mean, and he's got the deepest voice in the class. Oh, man. His <laughs> voice sounds fake. It's so deep. It might be the deepest voice I've ever heard. 
it's kind of absurd that that they're even you know there's teams considering Isaiah Wilson in round one. But again, not surprising. Like teams just fall in love with size, and like they see size at offensive tackle, and they 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 fall in love with the potential. Like I I'm bl- I'm blown away. But again, not surprised by teams continuing to kind of fall into their old ways of like overvaluing the wrong things. All right. Um, also being talked about of late, Willie Gay Jr., the off-ball Mississippi State linebacker that we rave about pretty much every podcast, going early day two. I am I'm all on board with this baby. I I draft him at the top of round two. This one I love, and I I am all on board with it. This hype I can get on board with. And we just did the thing last week where I said end of day two. I would I'd take him over. I'd rather have him at the end of day two value-wise than Isaiah Simmons in the top ten. Early day two, probably not so much. I'd still rather take Isaiah Simmons. But Willie Gay, if any, if you played a fully healthy last, you would have been a first-rounder. He has freakish sideline-to-sideline ability. Smooth hips. Like He has all the things it takes to be... A, not just a good linebacker in the NFL. This guy could be like a top 10 linebacker in the NFL. He has those tools. Now, yes, there's off field because there's all that sort of stuff, but like you, you, you've said it. And what Daryl Jeremiah said is like, he convinced people in the interview processes that like, you know, that's behind him. He is a changed man sort of thing, which who knows if he is or not, but uh, he plays football pretty well. So I'm going to take the chance. Absolutely. I mean, Willie Gay, I'm all on board, baby. If the NFL teams can pass, you know, get, you know, give him a check in the character process there, I'm all for it. Because Willie Gay Jr., very good on the football field, a very good athlete. And from what I heard, from what Daniel Jeremiah said, talking to him myself, talking to Mississippi State social media guy, like, this guy is not a bad dude. Like, he did not give off that, like, I'm a bad guy, you know, playing the bad guy role. So, Willie Gay Jr., you got to stop saying, you got to stop saying Mississippi State social media guy. You got to say sources inside the Mississippi State program. Okay, of course. Sounds of course. way sources. Sounds like it could sources. be the Mississippi State head coach. <laughs> you know? Sources within the Mississippi State program. I mean, there's another guy too, another source who actually was on the coaching staff that I've talked to, who said a dude just went through a bad situation at Mississippi State, was not given the support he needed. That's all I've also hmm. heard about Willie Gay Jr. Well, I'm all for for him turning a new leaf in the NFL and being a fantastic player. All right, last one. Something that's drawn buzz, not necessarily. Um, <laughs> From like sources per se, but Jacob Eason releases pro day on YouTube. I need your I need your major takeaways on Jacob Eason's pro day. My major takeaways is he's just throwing coronavirus balls to his receivers. Like those <laughs> things have to be. Uh, are, are they sanitizing those? Are we getting hand sanitizer on that ball between reps? Like this seems a little too. It doesn't seem like social distancing. I don't know. That was very Plus inappropriate turf. in my opinion. Turf also holds bacteria pretty badly. I remember, I remember getting like talked to in, in like high school coaches oh, saying yeah. that like, yeah, like, like turf can hold bacteria for a long time or some shit like that. I don't fucking know. I don't know if that's how coronavirus started. I don't know. But again, I, I, I any anything actual, any actual takeaways on the Jacob Eason pro day? No, don't like who. It's it's a cut up of a. It might as well be like it's a highlight reel. Like he's it's an edited video. Like he could have edited out all his misses. Like there's nothing. It true. wasn't. It wasn't one continuous stream. It was, and like so, that that was far. I didn't less think about valuable. that. Like <laughs> the like even pro days themselves have zero value. I remember Johnny Menzel had one of the best pro days ever. So take that for what it's worth. And then a edited video of your pro day has even less value than that. So uh, you can you can video yourself doing combine drills and i will take that and i will watch those and i will use those numbers but i will not watch videos of you doing throwing against air edited before we jump off the podcast did you get a chance to see the the purdue linebackers athletic drills marcus bailey marcus bailey i did not 
I thought they looked pretty nice. I, I would go and look that up. I, I thought he moved pretty well. I mean, guy who's coming off what, a torn ACL six yeah. months ago. Ian Rapport Second ACL. Yeah. Dude, this guy's flying around these bags. I, I mean, better better video than what Jacob Eason put out. That's for damn sure, because this guy looks healthy as hell for tearing his month six month tearing his ACL six months ago. All right, I'm gonna have to check that one out then. That one I'll actually check, watch. Check it out. All right, that's gonna do it for the Monday edition of Two for One Drafts. Really appreciate you guys' support again. Appreciate all the reviews. If you did not get a draft guide, send me an email at austin.gale at pff.com. But until next time, this is Austin Gale, Mike Renner, two for one drafts.